Uh, today's sermon title is called, and the passage of Scripture is this text from Luke's Gospel, verses 5, uh, 1 through 11. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Uh, we are now in the first Sunday in the season of Lent, and if you have been a part of the Christian community for any length of time, certainly if you've been a part of St. Mark's United Methodist Church for any length of time, you probably know something about the season of Lent. Truth of the matter is, the season of Lent has been around since 325 A.D., right after the Council of Nicaea met. Jim, you were there for that, weren't you? Um, uh, you're my Ed McMahon. I just appreciate it very much. <laughs> so Lent has been around for a long, long, long time. And, and Lent, despite being around for such a long, long period of time, it has come to mean different things to different people at different times throughout the course of the Christian churches history. And so if you ask me how I understand the season of Lent, I would say to you that, that for me the season of Lent is first of all a reminder of the fragility of life. That from dust we were created and dust we shall return. It's a way of being mindful that we're not promised even the next breath. And so that, that sense of carpe diem, seize the day, or gather ye rosebuds while ye may, it, it's meant to help us to understand that, that we've only got so much time here on this earth. That's one of the things that I think Lent means to me. Uh, another thing that Lent means to me it is it is a reminder of how sin separates me from God and me from other people. And, and, and I think that's a very important part of the Lenten journey is that it is meant for us to be mindful of our own sinfulness. And it is that sin that creates that distance, that separation between us and God and between us and other people. And so when you're thinking about that, it, it's, it's an invitation then to try to bridge the gap. To try to do what is within our power and expect God to do what is within God's power to bring us back together so that we can more closely have the relationship with God and the relationship with other people that God desires for us to have. And so to, in order to return to God, we have to first be able to see how we've turned away from God. And, and then in turning back to God, we have to figure out, well, what is it that we can do on our part to, to, to restore that relationship? And so it might be to take on, a, uh, take on something for Lent. And, and, and the whole idea of taking on something for Lent is so that it would help to restore our relationship with God. Or, or some people like to give up something for Lent and and folks who like to give up something for Lent give it up so that they can replace it with something that will restore the relationship with God. Uh, some of us might take on new disciplines of prayer or scripture study or reading a devotional book all as a way of kind of helping us 
return to God. And, and finally, I would say this about Lent. For me, Lent is about journeying with Christ to the cross and remembering what it was that, that caused Christ to be crucified. It was the sinfulness of the world. It was sinfulness just like mine. And yet, even though it was sinfulness like mine that ended up putting Christ on the cross to be crucified, his resurrection is his way of saying that despite our sinfulness, we have been named and claimed and marked by the love of Jesus. And so that's what Lent means to me. Uh, over these six Sundays leading up to Holy Saturday and to Easter Sunday, uh, I've chosen to sort of base my sermons uh, out of the book Gospel Lives by John Endermar. Reverend Martha really likes it when I pick a book to use as an emphasis for worship because then we can do it in all our small groups. And so if you're in a Sunday school class or a small group, maybe you've decided to use this book as well. Uh, if you're not in a small group, if you're not in any form of Christian education, maybe this is part of your Lenten journey to help restore the relationship with God and with other people. Maybe you want to try to find a small group to be a part of and and if you're not, if you didn't buy this book, you don't have to buy the book. If you're not studying it in your Christian education class, you don't have to study. It's just a nice way to, to do something together as we journey with Christ to the cross and to the empty tomb. I'm going to be focused on the day one readings each week for the sermon time. There are other readings throughout the week and questions and conversation starters. And so I commend this book to you uh, this morning. But um, basically the theme of the book is this, that uh, an encounter with Jesus demands a response. An encounter with Jesus demands a response. And so throughout that book and over the course of the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the ways that the biblical characters have encountered Jesus and how they responded. And we're also going to be asked to consider the encounters that we've had with Jesus and how we might respond and so today, we're going to begin looking at encounters with Jesus by thinking about our calling as Christians. And what I'd like to say to you this morning is that every single one of us here has been called by God. Every single one of us here has experienced the call of Jesus, a way of loving and a way of leading and a way of living that is as unique as each one of us are. Sometimes I think that people are thinking that the only people that get called by God are the people that wear the black robes and the purple stoles on Sunday morning. But that is absolutely not true. Your calling may not necessarily lead you into a life of ordained ministry or serving on a staff in a church. But every single one of us has been called by Jesus. 
And that calling requires some sort of response. This morning, we're going to look at the call of the first disciples. And what I really love about the call of the first disciples is it is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, is how the call stories differ between the different Gospels. If we were reading out of the Gospel of Matthew today or out of the Gospel of Mark today, there is this sense in which the, the disciples were called without really having any kind of previous knowledge in who Jesus was or what Jesus had been doing or what Jesus had been saying. It seems like it's, it's pretty impromptu. If you're reading Matthew or if you're reading Luke, Jesus is baptized and then a me, uh, Matthew or Mark, uh, Jesus is baptized. Then Jesus is sent out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he is tempted by the devil. And then immediately upon returning from the temptation in the wilderness, Matthew and Mark say that Jesus called the first disciples. It's as if Jesus was just walking down the beach one day and he just saw a group of guys just kind of hanging out over on the side and said, you know what, those are my boys. And so he walks over to those guys and he just says, hey, follow me. And these folks don't seem to have had any clue who Jesus was, what Jesus had been doing, what Jesus had been saying. But they immediately left everything and they followed him. And maybe that's like some of you. Maybe your call to follow Jesus happened rather suddenly Maybe it happened rather spontaneously. Maybe you had not spent a lot of time developing a relationship with God. Maybe you'd not had a lot of understanding about who God was or is and who God is calling you to be. Uh, maybe you haven't really thought about a relationship with Jesus very much. But, but then something happened. Some singular moment happened in your life that was so powerful and, and so personal that you you knew in that moment and in that moment alone that you were meant to follow Jesus and that you were going to do it. These are the stories that, that we pastors love to tell about those instantaneous moments where people had an encounter with Christ and, and then they responded. I've had so many of them through the years, these singular, powerful, and personal moments where people encountered Jesus and they could not help but follow him. But that doesn't appear to be the way that the disciples experienced Jesus' call in the Gospel of Luke. If you're looking in the Gospel of Luke, same thing. Jesus is baptized. Immediately, Jesus goes into the wilderness where Jesus is tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by the devil. And then when Jesus comes back out of the wilderness, there, instead of the next story in the Gospel being the call of the first disciples, Luke tells us that Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth. 
And when Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth, he began preaching and he began teaching to anyone that would listen. And he said some outrageous things, uh, stuff that made his hometown people really uh, anxious about who Jesus was and what he was doing and what he was saying. And Luke says that it got so bad, all the stuff Jesus was saying and doing, that the people of Jesus' hometown forced him out of town to a cliff where they intended to throw him off the edge. And we're told that Jesus refused to let that happen to him and that he left them. And then Luke says that after Jesus was in Nazareth and almost got thrown off of a cliff, he went to Capernaum. And when he went to Capernaum, he began to do all sorts of healings and all sorts of miracles. And Luke describes one of those miracles in particular that Jesus went into a home and there was a woman who was sick and that Jesus healed her. We don't know her name, but Luke, the gospel writer, does tell us that it was the mother-in-law of a man named Simon. It is then that Luke describes the calling of the first disciples. Let me set the scene for you again. You heard it read in the scripture lesson. So many people are coming out in droves to hear Jesus preach. The exact opposite of what happens when I preach. There are so many people gathered there. Maybe it's because Jesus wanted his own personal space. Maybe it's because Jesus knew that, that if he got out into the boat, that the acoustics of his voice bouncing off of the water would be easier for the people on the shoreline to hear him. But we're told that Jesus decides, he notices two boats there on the shoreline, and he gets into one. And he just happens to get into the boat of who? Simon whose mother-in-law had just been healed. He gets into the boat, with si into Simon's boat. They pull out just a little bit away, and it says he begins to continue teaching and preaching them and when, to the crowd. And when he finishes t teaching and preaching to the crowd, he looks over to Simon, and he says, Simon, I want you to push this boat out into the deep, and I want you to cast down your nets for a catch. I would suggest to you, if this is the first time that, that Jesus and Simon have ever laid eyes on each other, that Simon would be tempted to say, I don't think I've ever seen this clown out on the water fishing. Why would this guy uh, tell me how to do my job? I'm pretty good at doing what I do. Now, I didn't catch anything last night. And, but we know that if you're not going to catch anything when it's the ideal time for fishing, you're certainly not going to catch fish in the middle of the day. And yet, how did Simon respond? He said, well, if you say so, Jesus. That sounds to me like a guy that has already heard some things about what Jesus can do. That sounds to me like a guy who has already seen what Jesus can do, especially when Jesus healed his mother-in-law and she began to get up and to do her chores around the house. So Simon lowers those nets into the water. 
says that he begins to catch so many fish that the nets are threatening to break. He has to end up calling another boat over there. And, and in that moment, we're told that when, when everything was finally secure, that Simon falls on his knees and he says, Get away from me, Jesus, for I am a sinful man. It's as if Simon is in the middle of a season of Lent, isn't it? He is mindful of who God is and what God can do and what God can say. And in the presence of such a holy and righteous God, we, are, we see our sin for what it is. And Simon is so afraid because he knows the kind of person he is. He knows um, how short he falls of God's glory. He, he knows how separated and how distant he is from God because of his sin. Maybe that's the way God called you. Maybe you have had some previous knowledge or understanding of who God is and what God has done and what God has said. Um, maybe you've spent the majority of your life sort of uh, in and around the faith, dabbling in it, studying occasionally the Word of God, coming to church. And maybe you've had some crystal clear idea of what God can do and what God can be for you. And, and, and having had those experiences, you're like, well, God, I'm just such a sinful man. I, 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 there's no way that that the call that you are extending to me, that I could do it. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I, I don't know enough. But in the scripture, Jesus sought to reassure Simon. And he said, from now on, you will be catching people. So, how has God called you? Are you aware of the calling that God has placed upon your life? Maybe it came because of one spectacular moment that was powerful and personal and you've sought to follow Jesus ever since. Maybe gradually you've seen evidence of who God is and what God wants you to do. But you're still worried about how can God use me? The, the, the sin between me and God and between me and humanity is just too great. And Jesus says, no, I can use you. I can use you to share and communicate the good news of God's love with other people. You've had a call from God. You may not have thought about it in those terms. You may not have understand it or you may not have really ever considered it but God's calling you to do or be something and every encounter with Jesus a response is expected how will you respond